Make the most out of your daily commute or next road trip in a new Audi from Audi Atlanta. And what better way to do it than behind the wheel of a stylish Audi A5 Sportback? Hey, it's Finn, along with my friends at Audi Atlanta, here to introduce this city to the Audi A5 Sportback. With a versatile and athletic design, the beauty lies within, combining the sleekness of a coupe with the practicality of a four-door hatchback. And right now, you can lease the Audi A5 Sportback for $537 per month. Find yours at AudiAtlanta.com. And use the Jim Ellis Expressway to start or complete your entire purchase online or shop in person on Petrie Boulevard just inside the perimeter. Experience the thrill of driving like never before at Audi Atlanta. Offer applies to a 36-month lease, 2024 Audi A5 Sportback 40, 537 per month, 10,000 miles per year with 4731 due at signing. Example stock number A25954 MSRP 49,905 excludes tax, tag, and title fees. Offer expires 531.24 with approved credit. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did. What a catch. And the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now, with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house! Sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, back at you once again with another episode of the Quarantine Chronicles. That's right, the Punt and Pass Pandemic Podcast continues. It's the middle of April 2020. We've made it, I guess. Easter weekend was this past weekend. We're just tagging along these uh, social distancing days, these self-isolation days. Everybody's working from home. Everybody obviously needs something to listen to. That's why we have created the Quarantine Chronicles. Follow me. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, at Punt and Pass, at Drew Butler. And we have a great episode and an awesome interview for you today. Obviously, the world of sports is on hiatus. Not much news whatsoever when it comes to anything that is going on in the world of sports. Of course, without the exception of the NFL, which is continued with free agency, and the NFL draft will be taking place virtually next week. But speaking of football, something happened last week that we touched on very briefly, and that, of course, was that the XFL would be no more. And everybody listening to the Punt and Pass podcast obviously knows that we have a very soft spot for the XFL because my co-host, Aaron Murray, quarterback for the XFL's Tampa Bay Vipers. They played six weeks, and then the pandemic shutdown happened, the coronavirus outbreak happened, and they canceled the league. Really just completely unforeseen circumstances, something that was out of everybody's control. It seemed like they were certainly set up for a return in 2021 and beyond, but when things like this happen, obviously um, some circumstances come along that nobody could have expected, and who better to talk to than the league's director, of football operations. That's right. Sam Schwartzstein joins the podcast today. He is our guest on this episode of the Quarantine Chronicles. Sam was the director of the football operations for the XFL. He created the XFL's rules, and he was also the highest-rated offensive lineman in NCAA football 2013 from EA Sports. 
He played offensive line at Stanford University from 2008 to 2012. He was an all-Pac-12 center for Andrew Luck, and he was a leader on some of Stanford's best teams. He is a good buddy of mine. He was the XFL's first football employee. Think about that. Oliver Luck was named the commissioner. Oliver called Sam and said, I'm starting a new venture. I want you on my team. Sam has an unbelievable story about the teams that he built, the implementation of innovation that he put into creating a better game of football. We, we get into it all. We ask him how it first started. We ask him what was he most impressed with. We ask him what were their biggest challenges, and did he see any of this coming? Obviously, I think we can all guess the answer on that. I am trying to reach out to as many interesting people who have been affected by the quarantine, who are shut down from the quarantine, who are in the world of sports, in the world of media, in the world of news, and I think this is a great cross-section. Sam, again, is an awesome interview, the director of football operations of the formerly acting XFL. It is no more. We get into it all. Really appreciate Sam's time. Um, Let's get into it right now. Here he is. Our guest on this episode of the Quarantine Chronicles, Sam Swartzstein. All right, here we go. A very special guest on today's Quarantine Chronicles, the Punt and Pass Pandemic Podcast. Obviously, the world of sports is on a hiatus. Sports news in general has been really slow, but last week, some news broke that caught the attention of a lot of people and our guest today was directly affected by that. His name is Sam Schwartzstein. He was the director of football operations for the XFL. Follow him on Twitter at Schwartzstein S. Sam created the XFL rules. That's right. One of the main drawing points to watching this new football league this spring was the addition and, uh, and implementation of some really cool and interesting rules in the game of football, and he'll also let you know that he was the highest-rated offensive lineman in NCAA 2013 video game. Sam was an offensive lineman at Stanford from 2008 to 2012. He was an all-Pac-12 center. He was the center for Andrew Luck and some of the Cardinals' best teams. Also a really good buddy of mine. Sam, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing? Good, man. Excited to be on it. I'm excited. It's my first appearance of the Punt Pass podcast. I remember when we were talking about it back at the William B. Campbell uh, uh, Summit, so I was excited to finally be on it. Yeah, that was uh, three years ago now. Sam and I were at the William V. Campbell Trophy Summit out at Stanford University, and I told him, this was in August, I said, man, I think I got an idea, a podcast I want to do, and Sam, you, I got to give you credit. You gave me a pat on the back, and you said, that sounds like a great podcast idea. Roll with it. We have. We will surpass a million downloads here any day now, so we're rocking and rolling. You're going to help with that number. You're going to help us surpass a million followers, and obviously, the reason I wanted to have you on is I said it in your introduction, you were the director of football operations for the XFL. News broke last week that the XFL will be no more. And um, obviously with the pandemic, with the coronavirus outbreak that has happened, sports was put on a halt. The XFL got through the first six weeks of their inaugural 2020 season. Everybody expected maybe if this wasn't going to last so long that the XFL would return, most certainly in 2021. And then – yeah, announced last week that uh, that it wasn't going to be anymore. How'd you find out the news? Obviously, a lot of hard work went into this, and um, a very abrupt ending. Yeah, you know, um, we knew that there was always going to be something up in the air. Um, we were operating as if 2021 was happening. Um, we found out, I found out the same way the rest of the company found out. Um, 
uh, 10, or I think it was 9 a.m. Pacific as I'm in California right now and uh, got the call that we were shutting down. So I knew something was up when the day before we refunded 2021 season tickets to fans or, uh, that they got it, but you know, it was taken a little bit by surprise. We had been having budgeting meetings. We had created four plans for what we could do this upcoming year you know, based on budget constraints or things that we wanted to approve on, all of our KPIs that we've been tracking. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise. Surprise to a lot of people for sure. We'll get into that also uh, later on. But let's let's talk about some of the positive stuff. I think most importantly how this all began because I want to guess you were employee number two or three or maybe even employee number one. How did you first get this opportunity with the XFL? Because this was not hastily put together. You guys had been working on this for almost two years before kickoff. Yeah, so uh, I think it was June 4th, 2018. I got a text from a West Virginia number. Um, saying, I'm taking a job in professional sports. I think you should come uh, tomorrow. You should come join me. Um, and that was from Oliver Luck. Uh, as you mentioned, Andrew was my former teammate, his son, uh, at Stanford, roommate in college. And then Oliver and I really got to know each other. Actually, the first time Oliver met me, I had cornrows back in 2008 at the Cal game. Um <laughs> You know, so I That's a sight for anybody friend. listening. That is certainly a sight. Sam Schwartzstein with cornrows. <laughs> uh, you know, I wanted to have something nice for the big game. Uh, but then, you know, we'd been going to games, Andrew's games for years together, and we'd always talked about, you know, the same topic. Uh, what we love about football and what we hate about football. And then that next day, I woke up to a call from Andrew saying, have you seen the news? I said no. And uh, it was, you know, his dad taking a job with the XFL. And as you know, um, from being friends for a while, I was a big WWE fan. My girlfriend had tried out to be in the WWE three separate times. Um, and, you know, so I followed it. Been a big fan of Vince McMahon. I saw, wow, I get to work for Oliver Luck, probably the most respected man in the sport of football, um, be able to think creatively. And he tasked me with two things. It was reimagine the game. So provide the same Silicon Valley background tech lean startup method of innovation to football as well as play good football week one. And as any football fan knows, week one is not the best football in any department. You can have a, a, a stinker at any level of football week one, because it's such an unknown game. It takes so much time to callous up against an opponent and then callous up against playing under the lights. Um, but that, those are my two jobs. And for 22 months, I had the coolest job in the world, building it from scratch, created the entire org, created the calendar, created the, um, the budget for every team and was able to kind of really grow a team that really became family by that time I was done. So you were employee number two. I mean, if all over luck was number one, were you employee number two of the XFL? I was the employee two. When you think about football, so we had an IT person and an HR person. So yeah, I was technically employee four, but employee two in terms of building out the structure of the league. That's amazing. It's just unbelievable what y'all were able to accomplish. You mentioned your passion for WWE. Obviously, Oliver Luck, extremely well-respected in all of sports, especially football. Um, were those the two initial reasons why you were interested? Because you were working in tech beforehand, living in Silicon Valley, and this caused you to move all the way out to the East Coast and really uproot everything. Yeah, I think there was, you know, a, a little bit more about my background, you know, uh, last name Schwartzian, but I grew up in Texas, but I was actually born in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, my family's from New York. And so I was actually um, 
staying about two miles away from my old house when I, when wow. I, uh, the house I grew up in until I was seven years old. So it was a little bit of a homecoming for me. My dad used to fix all the WWE employees cars. So I know a few people there and it had been, um, kind of a little bit of a homecoming, but, uh, it was really combining my two passions, which was product innovation, what I was doing at out in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, for, you know, using the same tenants we've all learned, um, part of the William B. Campbell um, National Football Foundation um, that you and I both have had the experience of learning from people like Dan Rosenzweig and people who've been around Bill and then being able to take that and apply it to football, right? And and to me, what was so exciting about this is there are solvable problems with football. What really bothers me is trying to solve an unsolvable problem, um, but this was a solvable problem. There were cogs and pieces of creating a shorter game um and get maintaining the same play count which was a big passion of mine um as well as you know fixing the kickoff which was you know probably one of our most um fan favorite of our rule changes um but you know that was a solvable problem it was not taking uh, the easy way out which a lot of other leagues have done it was really identifying the root cause problem that i'm being able to approach so for me a combined my passion of innovation and development um, with football, which I'd played, you know, I grew up in Texas, big time high school football, Friday night lights type lifestyle. And uh, really got to combine it both. No, you bring up a great point, and, and it was just catching really good momentum. I think everybody was really looking forward to seeing the playoff race down the stretch, how the XFL playoffs would, would play out, and then looking forward to 2021, what new players would you get, how would it happen and work with colleges, being able to see the product for one year, maybe forego a senior season, join the XFL, and then try to get into the NFL that way. You said the two goals were to reimagine the game and play good football on week one. I, I think... I think the biggest thing to playing good football is having good football players and good football coaches. What was your process of recruiting these coaches, a couple of very high-profile guys, as well as players, because you guys were able to build some really good rosters in these markets? Yeah, so the first one was, we, you know, I worked with a um, great team. Brian Kilmeade was one of the first guys I hired, um, young kid out of Syracuse, and it was let's look at every single coach we're going to evaluate them on different metrics. What can they bring offensively to the game? Because our fans said they wanted an offensive-focused game. Got it. What can they bring from a leadership perspective, and how can they work with this type of player? You have to understand what your marketplace is. Every single one of our players has lost their dream. They all wanted to play in the NFL, and they lost their dream in some capacity. And we have to kind of – that player has a little bit of a different mental edge to them. Now, they're much less entitled. Once you get them on your staff, then a normal NFL player, there's no Antonio Browns in our league because we don't have time for that. Um, you know, and, and that's that's kind of the, the, the mindset. But how do you have a coach that work with that? So CFL um, coaches like June Jones and Mark Tressman were appealing to us because they've dealt with that similar type of guy. Um, Jonathan Hayes was a great example of what a great XFL coach is because he was a first-time head coach opportunity, but he'd been associate head coach for 15 years. Same with Winston Moss, same with Pep Hamilton. We were giving guys who normally get passed over an opportunity to um, keep it going uh, with our coaches to get them an opportunity to to really become big-time head coaches um, that they never had before when they had done a lot of the the role that one one had done. So I played for Pep Hamilton, known how he could innovate on offense, known how he was ready for the role, Um, and then – Jonathan Hayes is one of the best men I've ever known in football. And we wanted a guy who could really 
treat players like the respect they deserve. And then ultimately, uh, Bob Stoops, who, you know, was a, a dream for me. December 24th, I got a phone call saying Bob Stoops is interested. And I thought it was a prank call from all of them. <laughs> um, and, you know, he was one of those guys that came in early, was willing to adapt, willing to focus. And then he had great leadership where, you know, hey, guys, we're going to have that play call go over the air. Yeah. And everyone can balk. And when Bob says, you know what, you know, this is what we need to do for our fans. And that helps get people on board. And you know, I really respect Coach Stoops for doing that as well. Um, you know, there was definitely some trying times, and, you know, figuring these rules out. And if it was up to some of the coaches, we would have never had the kickoff or 40, we'd have a 45 second play clock and we wouldn't have coached the player. But what was awesome is being able to push back and fight for the stuff that I believed in and the team believed in at the XFL, how we can really help our fans and help our coaches accomplish their goals. You mentioned the kickoff. You mentioned play calling being broadcast on the air so fans can listen into the communication between the coaches and the players. A lot of other stuff as well. The extra point, uh, the options. Where do you feel the XFL was most innovative? What do you think maybe will be taken by the NFL moving forward? So I actually think those are two separate um, pieces. I think kickoff will be taken by all sports within 10 years. Or The way I look at it is football still being played 30 years from now, it has to use our kickoff. Um, that's and, just, and I think that one is pretty that was basic. That was um, your idea, right? You developed that idea. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so all of the rules were, um, were came from me. Um, I, I worked with our, my team, but we and, – and, like, come from me is a little, little bit different. We, we worked with everyone in the football community and our, our, on our staff to figure out what was the problem with every rule. So mm-hmm. the problem in there's two problems on kickoff, the amount of concussions that are created and the amount of touchbacks. Well, touchbacks, not actually a problem. That's a solution that the NFL and college football have employed. Okay. Now wipe that out. Why do we, why do they do that? Well, if you have less plays, you have less concussions. So we said, or oh, we want to maximize plays. Okay. What part of the play caused the concussion? That's the 30 yard run up. Yeah. And so when we were able to solve that, that's when the ideation comes in and Oliver comes up to me at my desk and says, what does it look like when the ball's caught? And so I take a hundred stills of when the ball's caught and it looks the same. And, you know, you, you played special teams, so you know, our kickoff looks like a drill. You guys probably ran a practice in college, mm-hmm. right? Cause you don't want your guys running down the field yep. all the time. Yep. So we took that drill footage from different universities that had done a similar drill. And then we have to apply rules to it. Um, and they're all different incentive based, but the mindset to have incentive based to start where we started that came from my head, but me and my team were able to work, look through data, look through all the different processes to make sure that we were staying true to football. Um, and that was, that was, you know, I think that was not as, that wasn't as hard for me to solve as it was the clock and getting play count. Um, that was a lot harder, but I don't think the NFL will, will change that for their game. Yeah, you know, I'll be 100% honest. The kickoff was not interesting to me at first. I'm sitting there going, well, you know, why kind of mess with the sanctity of the game? It is a kickoff for a reason. That is, I guess that's just me, one, probably being a special teams guy, and two, maybe being a football purist. But as I continued to watch these games and as I understood what the point of the new kickoff was, and for everybody listening, uh, 10 guys from the kicking team and 10 guys from the return team are lined up on the 35-yard line, am I right, Sam, or is it 25-yard line? The, the return team 35 is coverage, and the return team is on their own 30. So it's starting at where they normally make contact yep. on the play. Yes, and then the 
they cannot initiate contact until the ball is kicked and caught by the returner, therefore eliminating that 30 to 35 yard run up. Um, and then I think I would most interesting want to know uh, the the scheming of it from a special teams coaching standpoint week to week. I obviously did not get the opportunity to see that in a film room, but um, seeing the big return in St. Louis, the first ever kickoff return for a touchdown of the new XFL rules, seeing the drastic, I don't even think there was a, an, an injury or certainly not a head injury based on uh, the new kickoff technique. It, it was extremely innovative. I would guarantee you that the NFL will take that and probably, like you said, all levels of football implement that into the game because one it solves that problem and two it uh, makes the game a lot healthier how did you feel through six weeks of the 2020 season because some teams were playing really well Um, obviously when the season stopped a lot of guys got snagged up by some NFL rosters Uh, momentum was just being picked up how was it through six weeks well so we we played um, 20 total games and we you know we'd make our data set based on 50 games and we're only going to get 43 this season. So, um, but like you said, week to week, the game evolved, um, especially in the new areas, teams going for it for three more on the extra point. We saw a reverse in week three. We saw a cross blocking touchdown in week four, uh, week five in um, uh, Dallas on kickoff. So the, the scheme was evolving every week. Um, and we were so excited to see that our points per game were going up. Um, it was it was just getting started. And so when you look at data for teams and for leagues, you know, you evaluate on the whole season. But, you know, the first half of the season looks very different from the second half. Teams really finding their groove. So Tampa Bay um, was seen as, you know, one of the worst teams. People dog on them. But that, in my opinion, was one of the best rosters who had finally found their momentum. I'm sure you can talk to Aaron about you know, what they were going through, but I really enjoyed that staff and that team. Um, they gave me headaches, but, you know, it was working <laughs> all for the same goal. Um, but I really enjoyed uh, that team, and that team played the game that fans wanted. They were a high scoring, they brought the house on defense, and they had exciting games. Every game of theirs was a one-score game, except for when they beat the dog crap out of uh, D.C., um, but they played at 90 offensive plays per game. They were pounded. They converted uh, on, with their legs on third down. You know, that was seen as one of our worst teams, and they played some of the most exciting football. And so we were really starting to see teams um, evolve throughout the season, which I was so excited to see. Yeah, I asked Aaron about the uh, extra point opportunities because obviously in the XFL you had three chances. You could go for one point from a two-yard line, two points from the five-yard line, or three points from the 10-yard line, no kicking after a touchdown. And I asked Murray, I said, well, why wouldn't you just go for three every single time? It seems like the odds would be in your favor to tally up those points, maybe hit around a clip of 50% or so, and then really be able to win more games than lose just based off of your point after percentage success and he said from a play calling perspective being at the 10 yard line really kind of limits any running opportunities you know he's sitting there going guys can just pretty much pigeonhole you into a coverage or into a look to where they're going to make you throw the ball they'll sit back there at the two yard line or the goal line and then just cherry pick the quarterback maybe try to make him make a quick decision so I don't know if you agree with that um, but it was cool to see that happen what were, let's just get to the chase what were your thoughts on Aaron Murray I know he had a foot injury in week one but um getting him down in Tampa Bay where he's from had to have been a pretty cool feeling 
Yeah, that was a that was a long one, and you were part of the negotiation, as you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. You and I were texting, and uh, uh, you know, and that was something that we were excited to have because he had done this before in the AAF, and really we bounced things off of him. Like when I went down to Tampa, or when I saw him in Houston, it was really talking about you know what could we do better as a league as compared to what he had done before in the AAF, and. Having him get hurt sucked, but he was so good for Taylor Cornelius in that room um, was huge for him. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the, all the players, really, because they all were so grateful for what we were doing. Yeah. And they liked being part of the process. And that that's really, you know, I, I try not to use um, I as much, but, you know, and, and when you're selling yourself right now, you know, you kind of have to. But, yeah. you know, we really wanted to build with our players and our coaches and our fans and the football community. And that's a lot of the rule changes, the ideology and the players were involved in that. So I think, you know, one of the things we did is we heard that we had bad food and we're going to have to fix that, right? Our hotels have got to be held up to a higher standard in training camp. We've got to fix the food. And um, that was because we were able to talk to the players, to figure out what, what they were struggling with. And uh, uh, it was great to have Aaron there. I think he, once he got hurt, he was still great to be part of the league. I think one of the best moments at TV and what we were going to do moving forward was really mic up our backup quarterbacks during game day and have them be part of the broadcast because Aaron was providing such good info in that last game about what was coming next. You know, you can give Joey Galloway, Greg McElroy, all the information pregame as they, as you want, but having Aaron be able to talk about what's going to happen on the next play is huge. Yeah, that was great. That was the Sunday night game. I forget. I think they were playing L.A. in Tampa, and uh, it was fantastic. I think Cole Kublik was down there, or was it Molly McGrath? I forget, but uh, they stuck a camera and a microphone right in Murray's face and pretty much just said, why don't you go ahead and do your analyst job that you do during the fall for the team that you're currently on? And it was it was captivating because, one, you really got to understand what was going on from like a sideline to a on-the-field communication breakdown, and then and two, having the the fans and the audience really be immersed in the game of football. Let's talk about a little bit um, what you guys were aiming to accomplish from the broadcasting side because you know having a kicker miss a field goal and then you know Diana Rossini run out to the kicker and say, "Hey, what happened there?" I mean, I laughed my ass off when I first saw that. I was like, "That is insane! I could not believe that happened." But you guys made it about the football, and you wanted the fans to get every inch of access possible. Nothing like they could get in the NFL or college football. Is that one of the things you were most impressed with? Yeah, access was a word. League of Yes is how we called it for the first year before we kind of pivoted to you know, as access. Um, we wanted to just say yes and just go. And one of the things that made my job great was I really had free reign to change any rules um, um, and be able to go and pursue any opportunity every option and so what we told our broadcast partners was don't embarrass us don't embarrass our players don't embarrass our coaches but go just go yeah. run fast whatever you want to do ask for uh, forgiveness later right so we had some pushback on certain things that they did during the week but you know having people like diana and cole and having people just say hey go run fast go do whatever you want to do and so what was great about Diana is she found the kicker after he made a 55 yarder later in the game to also go back to him. Yeah. Right. Um, which was, which was huge for us. Now, sometimes you never have a great play again, like uh, McGloin in week two. Um, but uh, so you don't get to have that full circle story, but with, 
you know, uh, the kicker in D.C., she, she found him right away. First person she went up to after he made the 55-yarder was him again. Um, it was great. I think them going up to uh, the kid who uh, got in a fight, who got um, yeah, taken great. out of the game, and then interviewing him and then getting mad at me when they say, I get a call saying, when I'm on the sideline saying, you know, you said you wouldn't let them curse. You know, you told them not to curse. And I said, well, you interviewed the guy who got in a fist fight. <laughs> 30 seconds <laughs> after he got hit. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you can, uh, if I can uh, help you there. Right. That's, that's not one. Your guys got to be ready on the button when they interview tattooed Thor after he gets in the fist fight. <laughs> no, you're totally right. I, I think that access was phenomenal. Again, it made you want to watch because you were getting something that you couldn't get anywhere else when it comes to taking in a football game. And the other end of that was the officiating, and specifically Dean Blandino, a guy that I had some experience with because obviously he was with the NFL for quite some time. One of my favorite things was the transparency that you guys brought from an officiating standpoint. I absolutely loved it. When you reprimanded the official who blew the ending of the game, I think it was between New York and Seattle, if I have it correct. Um, And then Blandino being on there during reviews and being able to listen to the reviewing official and what his thought process was, that was fantastic. The NFL needs to implement that because if there is anything wrong, with the game of NFL football, it's that officials can do whatever the hell they want and face zero repercussions. What was your relationship like with Blandino? And and, and I'll, I will just applaud you on what you were able to do with officiating. Yeah, so I'll start. Um, I'll start in a way that you know you and I have learned how to think through the William B. Campbell um, summit. Is just you you break every problem down. It's what problem we're trying to solve for. What does success look like? Is it big enough to matter? And the problem with officiating especially review systems are what the fan sees is may not be what makes the decision on how the play goes. They may not have every camera angle. They may not know what is going through that replay official's head in, in the NFL. It goes to a, into a, um, a vacuum with, uh, when it sends up to New York in college football, you get four angles, three um, angles that you get to control and then TV copy. And, with TV copy, you're getting things in sequence, not in series. Right? What I mean by that is you can't look at every camera angle at one time at the same speed. You're seeing the camera angle second one, two, three, then second one, two, three, one, two, three, instead of one, 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 two, 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 three, two, three. So it's harder to make the decision. So we wanted to fix the speed of it. So we want every review under a minute. We had we averaged 51 seconds. We wanted to have every review, everything that we saw and heard by the officiating crew, the fan also got to hear and see. So if we make a bad decision, you know our thought process. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get every single one of them right. Or if you hear a good decision, yeah, that's what the thought process was. Um, that was a big part of it. When we brought Dean in, that actually provides structure. So every single comment that a fan has sitting on their couch, you know, a fan might say, you know, these refs, they just want to be seen on TV. No, refs want the game to be played safely. That's their first job, first and foremost. We have rules for the health and safety of the players. And Dean brought that. Dean brought a structure. And nobody can communicate better to coaches about officiating than Dean. And that's really, I can't say enough about Dean. You know, you, you go through all walks of life and you, you know, you may never meet someone who's the best at what they do. And Dean absolutely is the best at being ahead of officiating, explaining rules to both players and fans, uh, 
What's so funny is if you search his name during a game on Fox, people think that he makes the ruling in real time. <laughs> he does not. Even for our games, he did not make the ruling. He was accessible except for the game you allude to, New York and Houston. That phone was disconnected accidentally, so he could not get in touch with them. And then we do have to you know, be transparent about how we work with our um, our officiating staff or how we work with them to make sure – you know, we are open and honest. Wes Booker was one of my close friends. He was at the first test we ever did in Mississippi. Um, and we have to find a way to do it. Now, you know, there's things where I wish we handled a little bit differently about it. Um, I was actually in the airport at, after visiting with a Citadel who was trying that full XFL game in their spring game, uh, which was one of the highlights of my time with the league. And uh, But, you know, Wes was one of the guys that we had to, you know, Let's move. Now, Wes still works with the XFL. When you say he'd be reassigned, he actually had been reassigned. He did an amazing job with us weekly, being able to communicate with all of our officials. Just that was a really hard moment for our league and for him, but we had to act that. Yeah, I mean, you guys were well on your way to creating real change and 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 transparency from an officiating standpoint. Blandino, you know, I think, like you said, sometimes he may get a bad rep. Sometimes it might be well-deserved. He obviously is at the top of his profession, there's no doubt. As a football fan, as a former football player, nothing enrages me more, Sam, than watching any football during a review when they bring on these so-called experts, like a Mike Pereira, who is an expert, like a Dean Blandino, who is an expert, and they say, Tell us what you think here. And they just double talk out of both sides of their mouth and give you absolutely nothing. Well, it could be this, but as you see from this angle, maybe they can rule it in this direction. I'm really not quite sure. Let's see what he says. I mean, that is the best job in the world. I want that job because you were never wrong because you never have to say anything, which is absolutely fantastic. Meteorologist, um, VC. And officiating uh, media guy, uh, you know, you never have to be right, really. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you can be right 10% of the time. And, uh, you know, if they invest in 30 companies, but one of them is Facebook, uh, only Facebook needs to hit. Right? That's right. Like, there's a lot of other industries out there. Me, uh, meteorologists, I think in Palo Alto, might be the greatest job in the world. <laughs> Guess what? It's funny. Um, but officiating, now here's what's funny about that. After living in this world now and having written a rule book, uh, there's so much gray area in a rule book, especially football. Yeah. And that's what makes it hard is you actually have to go out there and define a catch. Now we made it a lot easier by, by taking half the ability by using the college rule where you have one foot in bounds or any body part hits the ground. That's a catch. But there are so many things that can take place that are gray area that you, if you create a rule, you, you have, it's like the hydra. When you make one rule, uh, and you cut it off and you split it up. Now three more take its place. Yeah. And you have to solve for all those other extenuating circumstances. So why they talk out of both sides of their mouth is because there are probably multiple ways to look at of it. Course. And, uh, it's funny. Uh, I'm on the, 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 the text chain now with Dean during any game where I'll text him. Hey, what'd you see there? You know, I'm one of 50 people now. I probably text him <laughs> during games. Um, and it's just hard. Yeah. It's just really hard. That's why we wanted the replay official to be part of the staff, part of that crew that went to every game and make the, the decision on site. We thought, why don't we just send it back to Dean every time? Well, you really got to make it so that the officials know what's that staff going to do. And scatter reports on staff will always be, officiating staff will always be in football. Um, and we wanted to make it so, yeah, you have to know this staff and know this, uh, this group and let the decision be made on site. Because that's not going to 
it's going to be too hard to send it all the way back and make it hidden. And that's, you know, that's not what fans want. No, you're totally right. I mean, if it was my way, I would have um, a, a ruling body be able to fire officials after poor performances, much like players who get cut in the NFL. And then, most importantly, Sam, implement press conferences for officials after games. Make them face the music, just like how you guys held that dude's feet to the fire who really botched the end of that game. I Again, I applaud you. You guys were doing Really good stuff. Obviously, um, this pandemic, which nobody could have seen coming, ended the XFL season after just six short weeks, and there was a lot of momentum moving forward because you guys really had a long-term future plan in sight. What were you most looking forward to? Because obviously, a, a lot of really good stuff was happening. I, I'm, I was looking forward to seeing these players really start to shine. I think Josh Johnson, the top 20 quarterback in this country, you know, and wow. I think... Fultz Walker is an exciting player, and they were really starting to show their capabilities. Um, Demarquis Gates, um, he now I forget what team he signed with in the NFL, but oh my God, I've not seen a linebacker fly around quite like he did. He reminded me, you know, Fred Warner and uh, for the Niners, you know, some yep. the, these guys. Demarquis Gates is that kind of player, and. You know, when we pulled fans, what do they care most about with football? You follow the players, and the players are, they were really starting to get their own. They all bought into what we were trying to do. I mean, you could talk to Aaron. Players were enjoying it. Players were having fun playing football in our league because that's really what it was about. Um, and that's what I was most excited for. The coaches were starting to get it. Coaches, I could have, I probably did have 100 meetings with these coaches um, in the year that we had them hired. And they were just starting to get, hey, these rules work. Now, you know, I wanted to go back to your three-point play with Aaron. Um, the number one scoring play on three-point plays was QB draw. Oh, really? And that's largely due, largely due to the fact that you're you're working them so they have to pass the ball. But when the play breaks down, QB run is opened up because the pass is so effective. Now, what's great about football is, that was going to die by week eight because yeah. everyone had access to that data. We partnered with PFF. You know, they were a great partner of ours to be able to put together all this data that we were servicing to our coaching staffs. Um, this was part of the game that we had is it was going to evolve every week. Now, my favorite stat is if you look at golden go situations, it's 50% chance to score from the two, 30% chance to score from the five and 20% chance to score from the 10. But, I think a quarter of all three-point plays were actually attempted from the five because our penalties were half the distance to the goal on all post-snap oh, penalties. Oh, nice. So so your best shot was actually to go for it from three points because there was a chance a penalty might take place and you could go for it from the five. Four so three-points still. Teams yeah. were just starting to get that. Now, you know, that's what makes uh, what I do so great is I'm very data-heavy, very trusted data, but I also brought in this idea that we still have to play all these games and watch all these games. That's why we can't just make this game on a spreadsheet and predict what's going to happen. Um, and that aspect of it where three-point plays weren't actually taking place from the 10, they were taking place from the 7.5 or 8-yard line because on average they weren't taking place from the 10 every time. That's what made this game start to get really exciting in the fall. Yeah, and you could tell. You could certainly tell, and it's just uh... – it's pretty shitty how all this ended with the pandemic that we're all dealing with, this uh, this quarantine, self-isolation, social distancing time period that 
is unprecedented that nobody will ever forget, and you certainly won't because it has directly impacted what you were doing. It's something that you were working very hard towards. I guess last question before we get out of here, Sam, what are your thoughts on football this fall? I mean, are we going to have football on time? What's it going to look like? Is college going to play NFL where there will be fans in the stadium? I know that's a long way out, but um, what do you think, man? I, I, college football – College football, which you know, I I love and adore a lot of what we wanted to model our game. Bringing the pro mindset to what the college football game does differently. You know, we have the same RPO rules as them, which you know it is communism, but yep. it is an exciting play. Um, it's going to be hard for college football to play uh, this year, um, just from you know when we were modeling out what they were going to do. They're so fractured. We saw with NCAA tournament uh, when. Duke backed out. That's when the, the, all the chips fell. Uh, college football is going to be hard because there's going to be certain teams that can play. You're not going to be able to have players on campus. So if, if Georgia doesn't have players on campus uh, because their students aren't allowed on campus, uh, can they play football? Well, if Georgia's not playing, should the rest of the SEC play? And that's when it becomes fractured. Um, and then when the SEC's got games against the ACC, but the ACC is not playing. What do they do? And so it's really hard. Now, I hope for a, 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 a reduced schedule, get rid of non-conference games, and go to an October 15 start date. I think that makes sense. I throw out October 15 because that's what some of these projections expect us to be kind of back to normal. Um, you really need to have the players in there, or you have to create um, a hyperbaric chamber for these players. Yeah. Yeah, I put together a business plan back in 2018 to have all teams in the same location all year uh, to cut down on costs, cut down on player um, needs. You know, we don't need to scale up and scale down uh, from 70 to 57, but that, that was a plan we had in place from just regular. So we brought that one back up and it really has is hard because you have to monitor the guys in and out, every single person on staff, all the cooks, um, every person that helps, you know, take the trash out. You have to get them tested every day as well. So that'll be hard. The fracture system NFL, I have less concern about. Um, I think they'll push their start date um, just because they are the master tenants in their locations. They are the number one source there. The players are incentivized to play as well versus in college. They don't really have a choice to play. Um, because the, 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 the university on behalf of the other students need to make the choice. So it is going to be hard for college. NFL, I'm not too worried about. They could start at any time. All right. You heard it here first. Sam Schwartzstein, director of football ops of the XFL, thinks we will have football. It may look different, and it may be pushed back a little bit. Well, Sam, you're a free agent. You're a free agent right now, man, and I know that's probably not what you expected here middle of April in 2020. If you could have your pick of the litter and do anything that you wanted, what would it be now that you're a free agent? There's a lot of things. Um, You know, I I think that this is still a solvable problem. We got close to it. Um, I would love to be able to at the end of the day, do this at maybe the college level or the NFL level. Um, but really, at the end of the day, all I really care about is having a, a solving really hard problems with really good people. So if something like anything comes around like that, that's what I'm most excited about. That's awesome, man. And speaking of really good people, 
you, my friend, are one of the best, and uh, we really appreciate your time here on the Punt and Pass podcast talking about a subject that obviously has affected you very personally. Uh, we appreciate your transparency. We appreciate your information, and I think everybody has certainly learned a ton about what went into the building of the XFL, the success of it, and obviously the unforeseen circumstance that was not at all anybody's fault. So, Sam, my good buddy, I really appreciate you, dude. Um, thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks to, uh, to all the uh, uh, listeners out there. Drew's one of the best guys I know. I'm so happy I got to know him through the Bill Campbell, William B. Campbell Award, um, the Summit. And so congrats on reaching 1 million uh, downloads. Appreciate you, my man. Have a good one, Sam. I look forward to seeing you soon. Awesome talking with Sam Schwartzstein. Really appreciate his transparency, his honesty, just laying it all out for us, letting us know how he learned about the ill-fated XFL um, clearly nobody could have seen this coming. And it's really unfortunate because you could just hear in his voice the momentum that they were gaining, what they were doing to change the game of football for the betterment of the fans, the players, really just everybody's enjoyment. I'll be honest, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan to start, but as they were continuing to tack on weeks, I was finding myself tuning in more and more. And and Sam's right. Some of the rules that they were able to implement will be adopted by all levels of football. And if that kickoff does get adopted by the NFL, college football, and high school football, that would be really cool for our friend Sam Shortstein to say, hey, I was part of that. I created that change in the kickoff rule. So Sam's a super successful dude, very sharp, very bright, as you can tell by listening to that interview. Whatever he decides to do next, there's no doubt that he will be extremely successful. Huge shout-out to Sam. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at S. He's a great follow, and he's been tweeting out some really cool behind-the-scenes stuff of how everything started with the XFL and how, unfortunately, it ended. Speaking of that, follow the show at Punt and Pass. Follow me at Drew Butler. Got a couple more awesome guests lined up for you this week on the Quarantine Chronicles, so come on right back and check us out. We'll be here for you, and we'll talk to you then. See you.